Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hey, hey, welcome to episode one of the Inside Events Podcast by SwapCard. We know all of our event professional colleagues are super busy and a podcast is really just the perfect way to talk about and to learn about industry news and to talk with industry insiders and those thought leaders in the industry who really are the ones who are moving and shaking, uh, making things happen in the industry. And they're definitely people that we can learn from. So on each episode, just kind of laying it out for you since this, since this is episode one, my joke has been you only get one number one episode. And so we're going to discuss trending news in the industry. Um, we'll have a different co-host with me each episode. And then we'll have a stellar top industry guest or two. I'm your host, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. Uh, my event industry experience is pretty extensive and varied. I have sold audiovisual production. I've worked uh, in a venue, selling events in a venue. I used to joke that I sold everything from a centerpiece to a widescreen high def show, and it's a fact. And then uh, working as of late, the last six years or so with my business with event technology companies and helping them to market themselves. Uh, I also have been a podcaster for the past few years, and so I'm super excited to have the opportunity to have a podcast that's exclusively related to events. So today, our awesome uh, co-host with me to chat news is Nick Borelli. Welcome, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, so if you have not heard of this guy, you just have not been paying attention because he is on every uh, show of note. He is speaking at every show uh, worth worth attending in our industry. And uh, he seemed like the natural guest to have on today to talk news. I'm going to give his bio real quick. Nick's consultancy Borelli Strategies focuses on marketing solutions for events and event companies. He's an international speaker and has been a member and volunteer with numerous event industry associations. He's also the marketing chair of the event industry nonprofit, The Search Foundation. If you haven't heard about that, look it up. Awesome organization. Uh, Nick has been named a changemaker by MeetingsNet, awarded International Volunteer of the Year by International Live Events Association, and has won numerous marketing awards. He has served as an advisor and ambassador for associations, conferences, technology companies, and numerous event suppliers. He is obsessed with telling stories that change behaviors. Well. Uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, quick description of you. I know we could, uh, I could have given the long one, but you know, we only have so much time. <laughs> yeah, as brief as possible. I mean, it, the cool thing is, is that at one point in my life, I uh, was marketing audiovisual, and then prior to that, it was marketing venues and spaces. So uh, I, I did sales before that, and and realized that that was not the place for me. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I've had similar uh, experiences on a different, you know, side as you, uh, and it, it really helps giving you that 360 degree, you know, positioning when you can vision uh, an envision event from behind the scenes as well as, uh, you know, out there with the attendees. For sure. Yeah. And I plan events now too. So having that perspective is super important, especially from the technology side, because as we all know, uh, planners are often uh, sort of a scared 
of technology and they have nothing to be afraid about. And that's hopefully one of the things that we'll um, get through and help, help our listeners with um, through this show. So yeah. it's been a kind of a slow news time, right? I, it's I, the summer. It's the summer. People are, people are on holiday. But one thing that has not changed that had, continues to be the thing in, in 2019 is sort of what uh, some are calling the cannibalization of small event technology companies. One company in particular has been on an acquisition tour, if you will. <laughs> is that a good way to put it? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, you're just expecting to see where the other domino will fall next, right? Yeah, for sure. And inevitably, I've had over the years, I've had conversations with people in every one of these organizations that they've acquired about this cannibalization issue. Um, now, I can't fault them because why start a startup unless you have an exit? And totally. I, everyone um, needs to make money. So I totally understand that. If you don't know yet, the company we're talking about is um, Cvent, which is actually was uh, a few years ago acquired by Vista Equity, and so they are a an investment group that uh, saw an opportunity. Right, this is a it's a hot market clearly, and um, they're trying to. Someone actually said, "I'm curious what you think." I had a friend tell me that they're buying user lists basically by acquiring these companies. What's your thought on that? Yeah, there's there's something to be said there, especially with uh, people who had the parallel offerings. Uh, like, for instance, you know, a double dutch, sure. I mean, that's, you know, they're buying uh, market share and they're buying user lists in order to, uh, because at the end of the day, like technology is, lives and dies by your user base. Um, some, and that's why there's so many pieces of software that are the biggest pieces that the world uses that don't charge the users anything because it's the list itself that is the value. Um, you look at social tables on the other hand, and I bet you there's a ton of overlap there um, between what, what they have or something completely different when it being venues. And I look at that and I say, that's probably more a technology and maybe people acquisition, um, you know, of, of being able to, in that kind of uh, DC environment, be able to grow something that size, sustainably, uh, culture. Like there's a lot of like positions why you would make that acquisition outside of just user base. Um, so I think that they've, there's some of them like lately, it seems like that's the move. Um, but there's been a few like infrastructural things where um, it's been more about like, let's broaden our, uh, let's broaden what we offer. Uh, and that's also like maybe take an infusion of some of uh, maybe organizationally some, some fresh takes. Hmm. All but right. ultimately, like, I, I think I'm of two heads of this whole thing. Uh, I, I can be really objective and say it's an incredibly healthy place for our industry that this is happening. You know, like that, that there's acquisitions happening at all levels. Hotel acquisitions are happening daily. Exhibition organizations are happening daily. Uh, it's the technology sector is a part of that. So like when you look at it from the real macro perspective, the idea that this level of investment is being made within live experiences uh, and this consolidation is an inevitability of there just being so much uh, more fruit out there and so much more money being left on the table. Um, it, it just shows the vitality of where we're at in industry that can now kind of prove its worth. So um, that's right. exciting. Right. For sure. 
And as you said that though, I started to think about price now, right? Because mm -hmm. that the thing is the fewer companies own the hotels, the fewer companies that own the yep. AV companies that are in the hotels, the fewer companies that own the software companies, then there becomes they controlling cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the, look at the hotel compensation for third party and uh, you know, just planners in general that, that happened because of an acquisition, you know, the Starwood acquisition made them the most powerful. Uh, and with that power, they had the ability to enact pressure and that pressure created a domino effect that went through all the majors. And that's the new paradigm is 7%. And, you know, will it go further? I mean, my guess is yes, but uh, ultimately that's lack less choice equals more power consolidated in fewer hands and um, that's that's a negative to users as long as there isn't enough um, uh, you have to kind of balance it like if there is a, a market you know I, I kind of do trust at the lower levels capitalism to work because I believe that like there's there's still an opportunity for smaller organizations to do things in a nimbler fashion and you know maybe to compete if it's if it's that threatening but if they're adding more value and they're adding more price i'm fine with it if they're just freezing out and stagnating um, i think there's so much opportunity for growth in the events industry that that's probably not possible like they have to keep progressing at, at a pretty good clip or um, the opportunity for VCs to throw it behind a small business uh, and grow to be, you know, competitive is is always there. Right. Well, it's interesting because when you said commissions, my brain first went to commissions that the hotels charge their vendor partners, like sure. the audiovisual companies and the companies providing power and internet. Because as the yep. commissions go down for salespeople, the commissions are going up for the hotels and what they're yep. And so it's a pass on, right? Like everyone who decides to go with the in-house AV is getting charged a, a rate based on the fact that that company has to give the hotel a huge chunk of money. So, you know, being cognizant of that when you're using in-house, um, I think is important, but also they're using it to how you say force planners to use in-house versus out of house also because if you don't, then they're gonna charge you more. Yeah, to get out of the way. I've been on both sides of this as well uh, in my, you know, as, as someone who's been on event teams as well as being in audiovisual at one point. Um, and, you know, you get into these deals because it's uh, promised money over time. Uh, and you, uh, as the planner, you, you kind of feel like you're, you know, you're stuck with somebody, but it's one of the overall decision-making things that you have to make a, a, when you choose properties. PSAV has grown, you know, and through acquisition uh, as much as any of these companies that we mentioned previously, too. So they, as like one organization, uh, is, has been doing the same kind of thing because they know that the same market freezing and control and uh, market share is uh, ultimately, you know, one of the best ways to be competitive is to have less competition. Um, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately if the planner is more worried about security and, and things that they can rely on. The, you know, the larger organization generally provides that, I suppose, if you look at the, you know, the whole tapestry, uh, because they have more layers and probably likely a higher likelihood of being able to stand behind everything that they have. 
not that they're perfect, obviously. Everyone has a bad story with any organization that's large because it's large. Right. Um, you know, from property to property, there's probably little different or little in common other than the, the maybe the training and the tools. Uh, it's the people that really make the difference between, you know, a, a bad experience and a good experience. Um, For sure. But yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I understand like there's both sides, but I just think that like we're in we're in the big leagues now, right? And it's just part of being in the big leagues is this consolidation. Um, and uh, I mean, one of the biggest fears I have for the events industry a few years ago was um, data silos. And uh, one of the opportunities that we have with uh, less organizations housing data, you know, and more under the same uh, umbrella is that we have better data, theoretically, you know, pure data, because it doesn't have to go through all these different sources. And I know there's organizations that are, that are working on, you know, more shareable APIs, which would be even better than that. But ultimately, you know, data is one of the, if not the most valuable output of live experience. So, um, I, I, again, I, just to be the devil's advocate of everyone else who is probably groaning saying, I want a bunch of mom and pop technology companies. When it comes to data, that's not awesome. Right. Well, and that's data is a definitely a topic for another time. Okay, so um, let's talk for, let's just do one more um, news piece before we bring our awesome guest in. Live streaming at events. Now, I, this article came out on MeetingsNet recently, last, last week. Pro tips for live streaming your events, and truly this is not new. Um, it shouldn't be newsworthy. But why do you think, I mean, it's, I, I kind of, the whole video thing I think is something that still show organizers shy away from because yes. there's still this impression that, well, if I give them access, especially if I give them live stream access, they're not going to come, you know, yeah. they're afraid that their registration numbers will be hit. And I think we've learned for years now, I mean, we've been talking about this for 10 years at least. Um, virtual meetings and hybrid meetings and, you know, streaming your, some of the major industry shows were just refusing to, to add video to as an element of their show for fear that folks won't, won't come. What's your, what's your take on, on this as being news and, uh, and what's happening there? I think it's news because I think the people of MeetingsNet attend a lot of events and they see a lot of ad hoc strategy free uh, video streaming and they probably know that they could do some good <laughs> by letting people know that it, this is no longer anything remotely considered a trend. This is here to stay. Right. Live video streaming of experiences is something that is responsible, it is revenue generating, uh, and it is an experience unto itself that deserves the attention uh, of someone who is programming it specifically for that, that screen. The, the additional opportunities for data collection and, uh, and brand equity around sponsorship uh, and, and just having people test the waters is so huge. But in addition to that, like, while, while this isn't like going to like change the world as far as audience growth, which is mostly what I talk about, uh, I look at the people who physically can't make it, you know, like people with disabilities, like the, the idea of getting in a plane and going somewhere, I mean, that's a lot, right? And they deserve great content and they deserve to have their, their lives, you know, changed as best that, that we can provide for them as well. So it's, it's really nuanced, but I think the most newsworthy aspect of this is like, I think it's kind of 
time's up on strategy free streaming. It needs to be something that you look at the camera and you program that designed experience. You know, people talk about like, well, let's have theater in the round because it'll make these people feel this and that. But no one really gives people that kind of attention when it comes to the stream. They just plop a tripod down somewhere and put their phone on it or they have AV, you know, turn an iMag into uh, some kind of streaming platform and not really consider that maybe, do you want a one-to-one experience? Do you want something that's so analogous? Do you want instead maybe green room, more intimate uh, conversations with speakers? Program it like you would program uh, if you were sitting in a chair at home. And I think that if you think about time and how people spend time and how you break it up, it, it should deserve all that. And the good news is if you do it well, for starters, there's not a lot to do, so you can be at the top very quickly. Uh, but the second part is, is that you can bring unique sponsorship opportunities along for the ride, which you know should pay for all of this uh, added attention. So, Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah. That's my, my view is that it's newsworthy and it's important because um, it, is, it is officially something that we can't be scared of and that we have to uh, embrace in order to grow the, you know, there's so many more shows in all divisions. To be able to have people understand what your event is about, uh, you have to give them absolutely every opportunity. Like this fear of missing out thing, while, you know, it, it is absolutely a buzzword that is kind of eye roll inducing and groan groan inducing uh which i've been more into like the jomo yeah 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 exactly like i'm more into the jomo part the joy of missing out but uh, the that said like it's still a uh a phenomenon powered by social media and the the way to gauge the reaction to the digital streaming is something that you can gauge in a lot of different ways to be able to track uh, through social media. And when you do that, then you can put more dollars behind it because it's a verifiable uh, endeavor. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that there's, well, and you can live as part of your strategy, live stream some and have, have other uh, paid, you know, there's a, there's a revenue stream there that, Archive. Um, yeah. There's tons of stuff. I don't do one-to-one. You know, if I'm, if I'm working on a design and event and I get to impact what we do with the design of the uh, streaming element of it, I, I create uh, other opportunities, usually in green rooms or in some small rooms with speakers and in an interview to talk about what the you know, top tips from the session. But I try not to make it just a camera in a and you know far away from a speaker trying to capture it because that's not what it's like to be there Uh, nor do i want to give people the wrong impression emotionally about uh what my event is i want to give them a a a design from the beginning to the end experience and therefore i usually take advantage of the q a and the intimacy that that digital can provide uh and then also you know, make sure to have questions that are kind of what did, what did the audience feel? What do they react to in order to like make people, you know, want to be in that audience. Right. So I, I think it's a little different than just kind of the lazily put a tripod on and, you know, hit uh, Facebook live, which again, it, it, a couple years ago, I would say that's great. Doing that puts you way above everybody else. I think we've just crossed the threshold now where um, it's not novelty anymore. It's uh, it's it's just a tremendous opportunity. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, so we are about midway where we are going to go from Nick being uh, 
guest to Nick being a co-host. Welcome, Julius. How are you? Oh, we're well. How are you? Pleasure to be here. How how are things? How are things out in Las Vegas? Oh, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. Okay, so for our for those of you um, listening, our our second half of the show is, is guest Julius Solaris. Another name, if you don't know it, and you're in the industry, you have been living under a rock. Uh, he his mission is to help event professionals to be more innovative, effective, and successful. He uh, has been named one of the 25 most influential individuals in the meeting industry. He started Event Manager Blog, the top blog in our industry, um, hands down, in 2007. Uh, It is the number one blog worldwide for event professionals. He's also the founder of the Event Innovation Lab. We'll talk about that. And immersive training program for Fortune 500 companies and high growth event teams. He is the author of over 10 books on event technology and innovation, the Event Tech Bible, the Good Event Management Software Guide, um, Meeting Design, the Future Event Market. I could go on and on. Isn't uh-huh. it fun to hear this stuff, Julius? Don't you just want to be like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's cool. I don't want to talk about today, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not good at talking about myself, so I'm the worst one. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, oh, start sweating whenever my body is red. Yeah, you're making sure you did it all. You're like, oh, okay, I did that, I did that. You're like, maybe I should slow down. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel old as well. <laughs> like when it was yeah. one book, you know, it was much easier. Well, I was counting to 12 years since 2007, and as, as she was saying that, I was like, man, that, that's a long yeah. time in this, you know, in this business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Julius, how long have you been uh, living in the U.S.? <clears throat> uh, three years, uh, next week. Okay. So, yeah, three years. Um, yeah, exciting. Love it. And, and he's in the, the hub of, of events, basically, or one of the major spokes, at least, um, Las Vegas. Um, I, I can't, it's funny because whenever I tell someone that I'm going to, going to Las Vegas, they, oh, that's so exciting. And I'm like, it totally would be. But when you go there for work, as often as I do, it becomes a little bit less sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> I have like the inability to make memory markers in Las Vegas now. It all becomes one Las Vegas thing, you know, because like, it's like the, the landscape is so like kind of thematically the same wow, there's all this crazy new stuff all the time. But like, I don't remember if I had a conversation with you five years ago there or three years ago or last month. It was in October. It was in October. Well, I mean, literally with you, it was in October. Yeah. But uh, I just like, yeah, I forget. Like it it all becomes one jumbled timeline. It is. Yeah. I mean, they make it so they make it very confusing. Though it's changing. It's changing a lot. You know, the the way hotels are rebranding themselves is, you know, um, on the experience side, you know, the gambling is going down and occupancy in May was like 7% up despite oh, wow. gambling going down. Wow. So you know, if you look at those two numbers, you see immediately how people are coming for different reasons. That's cool. For That's sure. an identity shift. Yep. Yeah, no hmm. question. Okay, so let's, uh, I want to kick it off with you, Julius, uh, to start in talking about your new endeavor. It's It's not new. A new, but it's newer than uh, than yeah. the blog. Um, the event innovation lab. 
I want you to tell us about what your purpose is behind it and, and where you see it going. Having said that, I did attend one in Los Angeles, um, one of your events, and it was it was actually quite quite awesome, um, especially as someone who is also planning events now. Um, getting your perspective and, and learning about um, how things are shifting was was uh, really nice. I think that was almost a year ago now already, was it? Or longer? It was, yeah. It wow. was a year ago. Tell us so, about it. Yeah, yeah it's, that's pretty new, and, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. You know, I've been I've been speaking in the industry since 10 years now. That This is my 10th year anniversary. I started in 2009 as a professional speaker. I've been going up and down and around. And, you know, we know what, all the problems associated with speaking in our industry and how tough that can be. And, uh, you know, no, I know Nick is there and is ready to uh, have a chat about it. But you know, it's it's. I don't want to. I don't want to be. Um, I guess um, uh, controversial here. But what I'm trying to say is that it can be challenging if you're running a business and you have clients and you do stuff and to speak at the same time in an industry that has a tendency not to pay for speaking. So I was. Um, I tried to find a way to still keep my speaking engagements and my speaking up while at the same time, um, you know, be connected to my audience and launch an event and be initiative uh, and sort of still going around in the country, um, in the US and outside of the US. So we started last year, we did three events last year and uh, this year we're doing uh, four. Um, and, and, you know, there's smaller events, they're uh, more intimate, uh, it's by application only. Uh, we review each and every single application. We try to keep suppliers on, not because we don't like like them, but because we want to we want a room of planners, and that's increasingly more difficult to find uh, meetings around the world. Uh, it all ends up with people looking for business, mostly suppliers, in all of the rooms I have been at, even the most high-end events. At the end of the day, there's going to be always someone with different motivations for sitting down and listening to a keynote that is meant to be for event planners because at the end of the day, what we do on Event MB is we talk about planning events. We don't talk about selling to event planners. So my talk sometimes doesn't go well with some of the suppliers because they're there for generating more business and more leads. I'm not there to provide that. So um, I thought, what if I could uh, just have planners in the room and really talk about the issues that you know, we know are relevant to them or we anticipate being relevant to them. And even more than that, we actually ask them, what are your issues? What are your challenges? We customize the, um, the program each time to reflect uh, what, the, what the actual room wants, not even like what our data says that what they want, like what the actual planners want. And so at IMAX Frankfurt, for example, where we did uh, something like um, exactly this, essentially we had to turn out, turn down 85 people that wanted to attend and we still had a four room with people sitting on benches and stuff like that you know standing to listen for three hours um for to myself and other speakers also sponsors obviously we involved them on a content level which i think is the next step on on how you produce content for events like how do you coach um sponsors to provide meaningful content because they have the data they have the expertise it's just like you know how do you uh, deprive them of their urgency to sell and make them useful for the audience, which you were still working at, but you know, we're, we're getting good results and we're tweaking the format every time. So, and then, then the second reason why we started something like this is because we have a, 
community called um, Insights, where uh, we same same proposition. We just filter the content out just for planners, and uh, we just approve planners into that. Probably we'll open it up for suppliers um, later on, but for the time being, it's just for planners, and it's just our intimate environment. And these events are meant to be sort of in life face-to-face um, -face representation of that community where the members, which are now 1,000, uh, can get together and interact with, you know, that sort of horizontal exchange that they long for and they asked for uh, for a while. So it's a sort of a meetup opportunity. And obviously our big event um, in this series is this year is going to be at IMAX Las Vegas, where we're going to have Jeff Hart presenting. We're going to have Kieran Hardline who's been a director of events for Mashable and many tech companies uh, in the past. Uh, myself, we're gonna have parties, we're gonna do a lot of stuff uh, at IMAX. So we're very excited for that, which is gonna be kind of the apex of this year. And then the next one is gonna be in Seattle during um, Northwest, the Northwest event show. I which, love it. Um, another exciting, exciting one. Yeah, so I, the, the sort of uh, crowdsourcing some of the content is something that is of biggest interest to me because I think if we only assume that we know what people want to hear, um, then you're, you, you have a missed opportunity. So, like, have you attended any of the hot Dokimazo events? So, no, I haven't. But, you know, the first ever proper article I wrote on my blog was about bar camps and um, you know, open sourcing the event format. So I completely espouse that type of approach. Um, so yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah, crowdsourcing uh, what, what people wanna talk about and giving, giving some Voting. opportunities to talk is great. Voting with your feet is one of the most powerful things you can do in a live experience. I mean, the, the buying signals that you get from that as an export of data is really powerful, but just for your time. I mean, think about how much time is spent on motivating people to click here instead of here but think about how little that is of value in comparison to like where you spend an hour of your time like think of all the things you can do in frankfurt with three hours right uh, up against what you offered and then you had that type of reaction to it that's very meaningful you know like it's the quality of that that tells you a ton about not only what you offer what those people want but why you have those sponsors is because they they understand that it's about quality and it's about you know penetration into people's minds uh that they they're telling you that they're opting in in a way that is i think a lot more powerful than uh, a lot of other things which i guess brings me to my uh question so uh 2017 you said discounting tech in favor of other elements is is being uh short-sighted uh it is biased towards tradition which is an interesting way to put it uh and it is risk aversion uh and resistance to change at its best tell me more about that especially the tradition part that's interesting well i mean i don't know if we can still that's still applicable in 2019 if we can still have that type of conversation i mean i'm kind of uh i took the leap and you know, in, my, in the latest report we did uh, about, um, you know, elevating your job from event planner to event strategist, really one of the items, like one of the major forces uh, driving this change in terms of the evolution of um, the job that event planners have and how they're required to be more strategists today. One of those reasons why um, this is demanded out of them is because there's a generational gap, there's a generational divide right now in the industry, which is by no means based on age, 
but more mentality. And um, the mentality is I'm gonna embrace whatever it's new. I'm gonna embrace tech as one of the items, like a look at the venue, a look at the F&B, whatever it is, you know, look at tech as an element for it. And some people are like, oh no, we're in the face-to-face -face industry and everything should be analog. But that doesn't make any, make any sense whatsoever because most of the tech that makes sense for events is actually in the back end. It's not even actively facing. So you're making an argument that has no value whatsoever. You're just being inefficient. So I'm, I'm like, I'm not even talking anymore to that type of audience because I don't feel, I think they're going to be out of the industry somehow, sometimes. So they're going to do something else probably. They're going to just do, go and hold and embrace people and hug them and feel good with themselves but you know this is not what the face-to-face -face industry is about and you know the event industry is about efficiencies about being extremely attentive to details it's about you know creating a flawless um, experience on the operational aspect first and then on the engagement the connection all the great things we like to talk about but the operational efficiency how are you going to achieve that in 2020 without a software Please do explain it to me because I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I don't know how, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still convincing you that we need a mobile app for event because it's more. I, I see those conversations. They're still happening. Uh, yeah. and, and I agree. I, I agree that I think I said this around that same time that there's just a, that that meteor is going to destroy those dinosaurs and those dinosaurs can yell at that meteor as much as they want but it's coming. So, you know, and I guess that's probably not a, an apt uh, comparison because the meteor, well, I mean, it did bring us eventually, but it's, it sounds like a negative thing. Ultimately, I think that some of the pain points come from the fact that they have refined to be like devil's advocate, you know, because I try to have empathy with the people that I'm trying to understand. Because um, I've, I've talked to the same people, you know, I think that you're referencing as well. Um, I think that they've highly developed their gut to be able to be really pretty powerful. The problem is, is that it's still a gut, which is weak sauce, you know, like it's not verifiable. Um, it's something that impresses a CMO, you know, like your gut says what, you know, person who, who ostracized themselves from the marketing and put themselves in this little camp called events and, and don't see that where they actually go together. Uh, I, I, but I think the pain comes from the fact that they have built a trade around almost like mysticism and shaman-like talents, which I believe are, are actually probably, their hypotheses are probably awesome, but that's as far as it goes, right? They never get better and they can never prove it. And, and I think that's where the technology comes in. Such a shame because, you know, if you would uh, put that sort of instinct uh, with, totally. you know, data and you combine the two, you're crushed for amazing success. And it's such yeah. a shame to see, you know, so many opportunities missed out or so many savings opportunity, even on a, you know, vendor sourcing or stuff like that. You know, we're, I'm, I'm just going to give you this, this tidbit of information. So for as part of the, a report, an analysis that we're doing this uh, month, we're releasing about the state of uh, venues and how they are. So uh, I, I was speaking to a planner and uh, she told me that she had to call a, a hotel three times uh, in a month in Vegas because a group she was bringing there. Essentially, they were giving her, that, her a group rate that was consistently higher for three times in a row um, than available rates on booking.com. It was very interesting to me. Um, so I decided to go and have a look. Um, I took a sample of 50 events 
um, worldwide, US-based mostly, but also Europe and um, Asia-Pacific. And consistently, I, I saw the rates, um, the rates published for groups on event websites being higher than whatever was available on booking.com. This is like one of the largest scams that we'll ever see in our industry. Like the, the level of depthness of some hotel chains is beyond ridiculous. And you have to think that, you know, with these group rates that they get, you have minimums, you have, you know, uh, fallback clauses and all of that. You're, you know, your hand, like if you don't get them like a 80%, you're screwed, you have to pay for it. And, you know, at the, at the other end of the spectrum, the substantial saving, we're not even speaking about similar properties close by that are off of the price, similar level, or Airbnb. But what I'm trying to say here is that, first of all, like uh, a technology-enabled planner would know that from the get-go because they're searching. Obviously, the planner I was talking to, she's very uh, out there with tech, and she looks at all of these websites. She knows what's going on. Um, and she was able to call them up and say, what are you doing with me? Like, why are you giving my attendees a higher rate than what they can get on booking.com? And the other part is while I was doing this research, the research that brings me back, I would say that 49 out of 50 of the websites I've seen, they seem to come out of 1997. I mean, that's not acceptable. Like that, that was my personal upsetting part. And that's not the part of the research that I do, but I want to share with someone because it's so hurting to see that type of web design. We talk about creating experiences and all of that. And you blend people on a 1995 looking website. I mean, right. what, like, how do you rec like reconcile that with your desire to plan experiences if tech is not part of that experience from the get-go, I mean, that's the first impact in most cases we're going to have with you. It's so funny. Like you see how much time that they spend in their design of their like booths. And yet they realize that their website is their booth 365 days out of the year. Uh, the people that they'll never meet. Right. Like, and the pain to see, you know, the sales process analyzed and, uh, you know, the, the right people in the bus, you know, for the booth. And yet, you know, there's not live chat there's not, uh, you know, an intuitive UX, like it's simply just, well, it's, it's and, and I deal with a lot of associations, um, you know, that's, uh, it, it's worse there, you know, like the, the archaic designs. And this is not by no means bashing here because, you know, no, they have a lot on their plate. Bashing. You know, they're already so, you have so much going on. I mean, it's just like, I, I do feel you. I do understand you. I'm not like coming here and say, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. This is more of, you know, okay, our job is evolving and our job today involves also taking care of, you know, the technology side of things, whatever tech um, impacts on the experience side of things. You would, uh, you know, when I was presenting trends in 2000 and whatever, 12, uh, I used to have a slide where I was like, would you have your attendees go to a bathroom that looks like that? And it was like a trash bathroom. Or would you serve rotten food or gone food to your attendees? So why do you put them in a situation to experience something like that, especially where web today is like so pervasive and we're so full of all the Amazon experiences. You know, I order something on the internet and the next day is on my doorstep. Like, how do you compare with that? Um, so that's what we should be thinking about even thinking about it makes a huge difference because the next time someone is selling you 
a crap software for $50,000, you're like, wait a second, I can get the same thing for like half of the price because I did my research. I have it as one of the things I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think having like a, a really regimented phases of an event that starts at the first piece of content that, uh, you know, attracts someone uh, all the way through to the extending proposition. If you look at things like that and you have the same level of conversation of each phase, you, you give things the weight they deserve because you you really uh, respect the, the user slash attendee uh, journey. You know, otherwise what you're doing is you're, again, you're segmenting it and saying marketing is this and the event is this or you know, post uh, event is this, and it's really, it's one thing, right? And I think that that's part of the problem is these silos that uh, are not taking into consideration, you know, the life of, of your attendees. And Megan, as a, as a marketing expert, I mean, I go back to what you said at the beginning to a certain extent, you know, um, I, I started my innovation lab with one stat that we look at you know, looking at all the um, stats over the past two years where um, consistently all the, every piece of research on the event industry is saying that between 40 and 77% of um, event marketers, CMOs are investing in events as one of their main marketing activity. Their main, their actual main most effective marketing activity, they're willing to invest more. The next slide is, Let's not fuck this up because, you know, honestly, <laughs> that's one of the biggest opportunities ever. I'm sorry for cursing. You can yeah, it's me. okay. <laughs> but, you know, truly, you Making know. Making sure the editors get paid. <laughs> nah. What, this is what we've been asking for, right? Think about yeah. 2008 and how desperate, you know, so many events being cut during the crisis because it was a waste of money. So yep. all of a sudden you have this money coming in. The problem is that CMOs don't think like, you know, whatever, a CEO asks you to do a, a, an incentive trip and uh, how was the event? Oh, it's great, high five. That, that's it. Loved it. Let's hug each other, let's move on. CMOs want accountability, they want yep. accountability. So how are you gonna present that? Because the problem is as soon as the money comes, the money goes, if it's not well spent, if it's not well um, accounted for. It's it's symptomatic that we're living in this age of acquisition around that same time because now that there is the ability to adopt technologies to have some sort of verifiable results, prior to that, like, like I said, there's they they everyone's known that that an event breeds more uh, positive brand equity, pipeline growth, everything that you'd want to hear uh, than a piece of advertisement in a in a print magazine. Not that you know that that there's no place for that. Uh, it breeds a stronger connection. The problem is, is the magazine said we had so many magazines and, and people read them and events had a binary. Again, those, you know, plateaued shaman would be like, it was a good event, this binary, you know, good, bad, meaningless chatter, as opposed to, well, we increased, you know, the, the outcomes were put into our CRM, number one. So look and see the results yourself. Uh, you know, they didn't understand the stakeholders and understand that, that different stakeholders have different results. They just didn't strategize around that. They just said it was good. And it was put in this kind of like bucket of money that we, we know it's good. And when we're doing good and the event is good, then we'll keep doing them as opposed to any other piece of marketing. And I think digital pushed uh, events to this point, you know, because of, of just 
the not only is the technology exist to audit these experiences that didn't exist before, but when I put money into Facebook, I know what I'm getting and I want that from everything. Right. And if you can't give me that, even if I know in my heart, it's better, I, I just can't accept it because I'm spending other people's money. Correct. Correct. 100%. Oh my goodness. Okay. We could talk forever on that, but I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, and it obviously this, it's all connected. It's all interconnected. So it's not like I'm totally going off the, um, off the way, but, uh, so your industry trends report that you, uh, put out in December from event manager blog, um, detailed the ways things are changing. One key element is that we've been moving from events to experiences and now we're needing to charge our participants our, or our uh, planners to transform their events. Yeah. Is, is it we're trying to get the events transformative or the attendees to transform what they're doing or both? You're six months out from that a report. What do you what do you think that things so are happening? I invite your audience. I mean, I think honestly. I mean, I, I've been saying this because you know I. I'm desperately in love with the with the subject, and you know we we've we've published last the last week a report that honestly, to be honest, is it's probably the best report we've ever published. And I don't say that because I'm here talking to you guys. You know, I'm like I don't care like if people download it or not. It's their their issue. But with this one, I care so much about because Jeff Hurt wrote probably one of the biggest best. That's a get. Um, you know, science of experiences, every written is being able to dissect what we mean by that. Because that, that's the role that we have in attendees to clarify confusion. So that's what we do. When you know new things come out, event apps, whatever they are, we do the event up Bible. When the new experiences come out, we do the experience report to to uh, the science of experience design. Um, so that in that report we've outlined specifically first of all there, there's confusion we've done a 1100 event professionals uh, research we've published the results in terms of what people think and experience is the level of confusion is crazy so you know there's a lot of you know people some people think oh it's it's about being memorable some people think oh, it's about you know purpose some people think you know all great things but completely different we also cross-reference like if you have events with high budgets, what do you think an experience is? And you, you would see that how that varies and how that um, inter interjects with the budget. So I invite you to read that. But in terms of the transformation piece, that obviously comes from you know the, the experience economy books and Joe Pine. We did a, um, um, a webinar. Uh, with one of the authors, obviously, which was one once again one, one of my highlights of the year, um, together with Marit, it was, it was great. And how they were discussing together with Greg Bog, obviously, who's a legend in the in the aspect here. So first of all, like the the idea that I come to your event and I get out in the same way, that's where events fail. So if we get stuck that into our minds that they need to get out in a different state status. Like they have to get out in a different uh, feeling, emotion, um, learning experience, completely different from when they get, got in. So we have to, this transformation piece has to come across. Now, a lot of the criticism we're, we're um, 
uh, sort of drafting to, to their drawing today to the, to the science of designing experiences as opposed to designing events is that a lot of people um, think that design experiences is creating stunts as let's have, you know, spitting fires on stage and have BMX rides and have people with bands like walking in and everybody cheering, which is great, but appeal to the dumb part of our brain that Jeff explains so well. Uh, you know, the neuroscience of it, like is the part that was going to reach out to their phone, take an Instagram picture and have a hundred likes and call it a day and say it was a great event. But what, what do you get after that? Pretty much nothing. You're going to get more. It's a dopamine induced type of uh, sentiment that acts like a drug. And that also puts your event in a spiral of have to do more and more every time. So what are we going to come up with? What is the next event idea, event theme? How we, the budget is not enough, you know, budget is never enough. We're the highest economy ever and budget is not, not enough. So that's sort of the spiral we want to avoid. And the transformation piece has to pass through content that is designed also in a way to elicit that transformation through horizontal interaction and connection, which we pass, you know, this podcast is for a mobile app that it's about connecting people and that, that, piece is the one missing most events because at the end of the day we evaluate experiences we evaluate events based on the level of interaction we have with other people so how do you connect attendees on the show floor with meaningful connection that involves the right part of the brain the one that the ones that plan the ones that uh, learns that's going to lead to transformation in most cases that's going to be make some making some events uh, incredibly appealing. Now, you still have to use fun, you still have to have stunts and great things, but it's a great way to get into the brain. But once you're there, you have to do good. You know, you have to do something more. You know, a lot of us stop right there and say, oh, we got into the brain, we got the Instagram picture, boom, job done. But what's next? That's the question that vampires have to answer. Yeah, That's well, and I, I would argue that having keynotes that aren't just the awesome CEO from X brand, but somebody who is actually going to encourage the attendees to make change, to transform, is a is a huge one. Like obviously, Julius, you were great uh, keynote at IMAX last year, um, and I would I would put you in that category. I attended San Diego Social Media Day on Friday, and the closing keynote was like mic drop. He was amazing and he he works he gets our space uh, his name is brian fanzo and i think nick you know who he is um julius you might also know who he is but he's somebody who should um, start speaking in our industry because he he gets it like he he encouraged everyone in that room to walk away and make a change and i i guarantee that that everyone felt changed let me, let me tell you something if we're not too long with with time and i'll try to keep it as short as possible yeah. sorry i enjoyed conversation so much and I yeah, yeah. Too much. I should get out more and talk <laughs> to people but you know what what one of the figure you're perfectly spot on is actually one of the examples we do in our lab not in the one you attended actually as in the next labs i put this 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 example talking about um the different parts of the brain and i make the example of content marketing world which is a great event i'm not picking on events i don't like to pick on events you know it's in my town so <laughs> but you know the choice they made if they can make it better it's obviously a big example you know if i pick on them they're not going to be affected by it in any way but it explains to other what we're trying to say and you know they picked kevin spacey as the keynote right 
that backlash by itself. But what I'm trying to say here, what is the connection that I'm having as a content marketer with King Space? I mean, I can be inspired by it. Every year they do a stunt like that too. Story, fantastic. But what next? Like, what am I getting out of? Like, what is the, the, the transformation in my job? Like, this is a business event. This is not like a life transformational event. It's, it's a bit like I have to get something from my business. So even though we may share some great stories that may res resonate with something, am I really making an effort with the best possible choice or am I just going for the big name that is going to be, oh, I was there when, when Kevin Spacey was there and, you know, amazing. And I make the same example with RSA having Bill Gates on stage, which, you know, for a software company, uh, security conference, the largest 50,000 exhibition, people exhibition, most concept in San Francisco, Bill Gates is a big name and has that powerful effect of saying, always oh, in the room with Bill Gates. But you know what? Bill Gates can actually teach me something about what I do, which is yeah. software and my environment. So. It's, it's not about, you know, taking off the wow effect because at the end of the day, we need a little bit of that in this modern world. And I'm not saying we have to go like in, uh, you know, closing ourselves in cells and just learn, but. That's uh, a fine line. Balance. Yeah. It's a fine line. Like, uh, like to give you an idea, like content marketing world has done those kind of like big names, Tina Fey, Shatner. Uh, this year it's Henry Rollins, which I believe will, as, as someone who's seen him do spoken word before and kind of knows what he's about. Uh, I think it's a bold, the first kind of bold choice in that position because yes, he's a quote unquote celebrity, but he has way more to say to content creators potentially of like punk rock ethos that if done right. So I'll take your point that it's a really hard line to be someone that, you know, is the, what people feel like they need to have to say that they were there and also deliver on that. Uh, I think that some industries don't have the, the best ambassadors than other industries and that makes it a little bit challenging. Let me find. challenge that, Nick, because I like to challenge Nick when we have calls like these and, you know, going back I love and it. forth. I love it. Let <laughs> me challenge that because, you know, what, what, what are we doing there? Like really going with the big name is laziness effectively. We're paying a big fee in return for big, you know, noise about it. Like when you could use that money to strategically find the people that could elevate that meeting into something different, revolutionize the concept, do a different keynote. People are going to still talk about that because they're challenged. Like, you know, they, they feel like halted or Kimazo or, you know, any type of format or having a, a strong moderator that is able to connect people in a meaningful way using technology. If you have 2000 people, think about the results you can have. Think about conferences, how they started with proceedings. Like, you know, they were like a means to get people together to work on something, you know, and create some an abstract, something I, that we would stay there. I think some that. shows are too big. And, and, and that's why they, uh, that's why they have to fall into some larger uh, choices. Like when I look at like a C2, for instance, like, you know, the majority of the, of, the like conversation that happened from the speakers was Spike Lee, who in that environment it had something that was really interesting to say, uh, and it was it was what we needed in the time that we're living in right now. So it it like kind of resonated to a bunch of people who are creatives, you know, in in a pretty broad sense. But they they go after a really broad audience. I think what you're saying really works for 
uh, events that are niche um, and, and and offer like business solutions that are very specific. When you start saying, well, we want to appeal to all these broad different groups, then the business outcome type uh, insider speak becomes harder. And then at that point, like content as a like an umbrella is everything, right? So content marketing world tries to shoot for you know, people who, I guess, potentially plan events to social media director. I mean, it's a broad, you know, canvas and therefore they try to go broad. Um, and so, I mean, again, I, I like to be the devil's advocate. Uh, I, I don't, I don't go to those keynote speakers. You know, I'm the, I'm the least likely person to go to an opening keynote. Uh, anyone talking about inspiration, I'm sleeping in. Uh, I, I am all about like niche content and like pretty much nothing else. That's all I really care about. Uh, so I, I'm with you on what I want is what you're saying. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like I just know that there's people that need different things. Uh, and there's, uh, I look at post-event surveys and I, I have, you know, just as many negative things to say about those as I do anything else. And those names pop up and, and maybe, maybe you're right. And probably you're right that the residual energy of that is probably very fleeting. Um, but if that's your only kind of like, you know, ROI, then uh, you look at those. Unfortunately, you, you weigh those post-event surveys way too much. They're yeah. trying to sell tickets, really, right? Yeah, I mean, the laziness truly. is that they're trying to put butts in seats. And they think if XYZ is the band, if XYZ is the keynote, that they're going to sell more tickets. And I think what I hear you saying, Julius, is that's not necessarily the case. That they might, if they add more value... Then, then you will con you will see your show grow by the value that and the transformation that people get from it versus the the temporary feeling of that was a cool person well, to be in person, right? Well, Rude told Miguel something that he told me through the chain uh, of like two weeks ago was that is like blowing my mind and is making it so concise. People choose to go to now this is specifically conferences, but like let's say events, but uh, uh, conferences um, based on reputation the same way they choose which university they go to. So when you, you have a dream university, you don't actually have a dream lecturer or a dream professor. You think you would, right? Because they're the star, they're the ones that are actually gonna put their knowledge in your head. But instead, you, you actually just trust the body to, to have the results that you want. And I think that's how, it really makes me think like, I think that's how most people vote with their time when it comes to conferences or events. If they trust in the legitimacy of the outcomes uh, of, of how they'll feel and change with an organization, uh, then they'll invest sight unseen to some extent, as long as they keep producing it on that value proposition. But it's more a question about 365 days of credibility than it is about We've got Kevin Spacey this year, which is probably a diminished return in 2019. But yeah, I mean, no uh, you know, that, that's the, also the problem. I mean, what you said is 100% spot on. Like, you know, an event like Content Marketing Board, you have to put together the event planner, the social media manager, the marketing uh, manager, and you name Directors, it. Directors, small businesses. It's you crazy. You in a room listening to a keynote. That's the problem. Why yeah. are you putting them in a room listening to one keynote. Why don't you do a party? Do a party. Do two parties. Do three parties. People talk about the party anyway. Do a mega buffet. Do something else. Connect and also. Why do you need to put a keynote that maybe appeals to some people because you're trying to be transversal. That's why I'm saying like, you know, you have the $50,000, spend them in a different way, you know, that probably could put together. No, we have to go keynote, breakout, lunch, breakout, keynote, closing keynote. 
Right. That's, you've done a conference. Right. Boom. Okay. So we could go on about this, I think, forever. Um, we're getting towards the end. And so I do have a quick question. I would like, and one of the other things I heard on Friday, Julius, uh, was from Pat Flynn, who um, you probably have heard of. And he said, podcasting is the new blogging. Um, now, I am curious what you think about this. I know that you have reduced um, the amount of content that you're putting out, but basically what he meant by like, it's podcasting is in its infancy by scale. Like there's, there's millions and millions of blogs and currently there's only about 700,000 podcasts. And so, and now in our industry, even we're seeing more and more companies and organizations getting on the platform. Mike McCallan is now helping associations start podcasts. So kind of what's, what's your take Smart. Um, absolutely. 100% a, a great pivot for him. Um, so okay. what do you, do you think there will be a saturation point? Kind of what are your, what are your takes um, as you sit talking with us on a podcast? Okay. Okay, I, I don't want to come, come across as, you know, know it all. You know, I know my thing, you know, first of all. Great. You know, I'm in my little space and my little business, so I have to make things work for me. So things that may work for me, maybe, you know, they don't work for, for someone else or, you know, they, they may not reflect what the zeitgeist is. It's just my little word and my little industry. But um, I believe that, um, you know, blogs are dead since like years now. They're, they, you know, there's no... I mean, websites have become blogs, like blogs have become websites. Like today we mean a website. Like when we talk about a website, we mean what a blog, the structure of a blog is with right. you know, refreshed content that has a capability of appealing to either search engines or social media to be shared so that, you know, it reflects. But, you know, blogs as they were born when I started 12 years ago, you know, probably the, the, the uh, the kind of a similar medium that you have today that reflects that it's probably Instagram. That's, that's it. You know, in terms of the aspect that we had back then, you know, having an idea or, you know, some visual and publishing it with some personal, um, you know, uh, vomiting on a subject that people would uh, probably like or probably don't, you know, they were meant as a diary. So they evolved, they've evolved, the content has evolved. The problem here is that content has evolved and the way that people look at content, you know, with social media effectively gone because, you know, social media has gone. I was looking at the referral traffic I got from Twitter. I got five click link clicks from Twitter today, five, you know, which is embarrassing. Like, honestly, it's, it's embarrassing. Like for an account, five more than I got, <laughs> you know, 50, followers that we have on Twitter you know, we have five link clicks on it and not because we're not doing a good job on it, but because effectively any type of linking, you know, value, traffic value that we used to have from social media is now gone as a content uh, producer. Now, I'm all for podcasting. What I like about, about podcasting, I like the personal touch of it. I like the fact that a lot of people commute, you know, it's very personal. It's very, you know, some, someone's talking to you. Uh, it's very one-to-one. -one. I love some of the podcasting that he's been doing, like, especially when it's about investigation, you know, where cold cases, you know, I'm talking outside of the business related right. people that, you know, but that's an idea. Super <laughs> vertical, you know, that, that sort of thing like excites me 
Like what I don't like is when, when people like uh, say, oh, this is easy. I can just grab my phone and start recording or, you know, like doing a YouTube. I'm heavily invested in YouTube, like very invested in YouTube. We have one of the biggest channels for the event industry there. We were almost 13,000 subscribers. You know, we are, I've never been a fan of pointing my phone and say, oh, let's do a video and share my idea. No, I, I respect content. I feel there's, there's got to be a plan every time you do content. So I'm a great fan of those podcasts that have a content plan in place and they spend the time to create a product that's great. You know, and then the medium, how you do it, whether it's going to be YouTube or blog or medium.com or whatever you use, people are going to love it and I'm going to love it. But when it's podcast, it's just an excuse because they don't have the time to sit down and think properly about what they're going to do. And writing a post sometimes forces you to be that way. That's the problem with a lot. I've been writing with hundreds of writers uh, in the past 10 years. And I know that when you push them to go in depth, they shy away. They go away 90% of the people. The problem is that 10% of the people are really able to create that in-depth content that you need today. So if podcast does that, fantastic. People prefer it as opposed to reading. We know that already. So, right. you know, fine with me. I, I don't mind that. I know that my traffic doubled year on year. So I'm happy with that. So, you know, uh, even if people like reading is going down and podcast is going up, my traffic doubles. So I'm, I'm fine with it. As long as you do it properly, people will still come. So... Yeah, I agree that the beginning, middle, and end that that writing like somehow naturally has forced people into doing because they still have some memories of being taught that at some point, or at least they've read enough to see that that arc is one that is uh, you know kind of fundamental. For whatever reason, when you start recording someone, they uh, like right now. I don't know the next thing I'm going to say, and that's being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, right? It's like those those kind of moments where you, you have things less scripted. And I think that, uh, you know, we're in this, like, like you said, this infancy of, of the medium. Um, hopefully, you know, there's a wheat and chaff separation at some point because my based on conversations that I've had over the last couple of weeks, I know that there's about 12 to 13 that I can think of podcasts that will be out in the events industry by this December. Uh, new that aren't out right now uh, because I like to be a guest. So I, I'm, you know, whatever. Because uh, <laughs> that's how I get around the free speaking is I just don't, I'm wearing sweatpants and a, and a button up shirt. Business uh, on top, pajamas on the bottom. This is it. This is it. <laughs> so my free speaking is, you know, in, if I don't have to get in a plane, then I'm all about it all day long. If I have to go, then I don't. Uh, and I think that like where podcasts potentially have the advantage over the, the the linear, I think the written word has a much better uh, ability to reiterate its point without being boring. Uh, I think that the the idea of getting into the mind and emotions of someone through theater of the mind, uh, and then having the personality really be the selling point is something that comes across in video and me and audio mediums a lot more. So I would lean heavily on the personality uh, in podcasts, and I think that they have it. But if they're if it's content marketing for suppliers or whatever it is i mean i think that whatever you know novice person then that they put on that position uh it's going to be so hit and miss to determine if that's going to be that because i still haven't seen many people invest uh you know industry insiders or c-suite or anybody at that at that type of thing and those people people crave that so much 
the two things that they're not getting in content uh, that they they crave and, and to the point of the success of that manager blog is that there is not enough data. So it's all just nonsense of gut. And that's where you're really coming out, you know, on top of everybody else. And the other is personalities that come through as uh, passion uh, that reads there that you trust them and you kind of invested in those personalities. Those two things will pull people in, uh, you know, back you up what you're saying and do it in a way that is memorable and unique and credible because it's authentic. You do those two things and the medium is irrelevant. Uh, there's just some mediums where one side, lean, you know, it does a little bit better than the other side. I like it. Well, and uh, part of the reason I was asked to host this particular podcast uh, is because I uh, have experience doing it and I'm not just going to sit here with an audio recorder and, you know, give you 11 to 24 minutes of whatever it is that I think, you know, I, I want to, I want to bring in the industry thought leaders like you guys and have interesting conversations and, um, and have people challenge each other. Like there's no one answer. Um, and, and everyone, um, I think listening to this will, um, hopefully get a feel for what this show is going to be about moving forward. Um, hopefully there was a, a middle, a beginning and soon to be an end. And to that end, I would like to ask uh, you, Julius, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Um, eventmb.com um, for the blog. So to access all the research we've been talking about, we, we make our research publicly available to everybody that wants to get a copy of it. Um, to Julius, pretty much everywhere on Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Julius Solaris, so Instagram, whatever. And the, re the report that you mentioned, that uh, it, when will that be out? The science of event experience design was out last week. We got oh, okay. 2,000 of them professionals downloading less than a week, which is mind gobbling. Wow. Okay. Well, if you share that, um, well, I'll find. I'll find it. I'll, I'll, that'll be in the show notes. That and uh, by the end of the month, we're gonna have the research about venues, which is gonna stir up a little bit of uh, ideas there because essentially planners are being ripped off by venues. I mean, we've been seeing that for a while. Right. Now. Proof. Well, and I had an experience not so lovely with uh, planning my high school reunion. And uh, yeah, I, I went through, I went down a way no, down a long here. road. Yeah, you cannot throw the rock and then shy away. Yeah. So, <laughs> I wanna know the story. <laughs> I, uh, I said from the beginning, I have a social group. I don't have an event at your venue, but I have had a room block before. What can you do for me? Uh, made it clear that I wasn't gonna deal with attrition and we went all the way down the road of me getting the agreement weeks and weeks and weeks and then there was an attrition clause and i said i can't be on the hook for this social event like I, you know anyway so um all right we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up nick what's the best way to uh that for listeners to get a hold of you just google me that's the easiest way <laughs> It's all, it's all, it's all Nick Borelli everywhere. I don't have any clever names or anything like that. So it's, one R, uh, one R, two L. Oh yeah. Yeah. One R, two L's. If you know that, then the rest of it is just <laughs> put, it, put it in Google like you do everything else. That is perfect. Well, I think that this was a, an a awesome conversation all around. Thank you so much, Julius, for being our very Thank first you. guest. And good luck with the podcast. It's going to be amazing. Thank you. Uh, Inside events will be, as of right now, will be out once a month. Um, and starting this month in July of 19, and you'll be able to find us on Twitter at the event 
Crofts. <laughs> That's our show handle. Um, and we want any input, feedback. Uh, if you want to be a guest, please, um, you'll be able to reach us there. Thank you, Nick and Julius, so much for being our guest on episode one of Inside Events. And we will catch you all next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag Inside Events and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.